My name is Alan Stoop, and this is Alan Stoop's True Crime Case Book. Glad you could join me. I should like to begin by reading out a pre-prepared statement. Hold on. Sorry. Hello, I'm Alan Stoob, and this is a pre-prepared statement. Many of you will know me as Britain's premier Nazi hunter, as author of the acclaimed memoir, Alan Stoob, Nazi Hunter, as Nazi Hunter of the Year 2004 to 2007, inclusive. Others may simply know me as Alan, 29 the Crescent, Dunstable. I am taking this opportunity to announce that as of today, I am stepping down as Britain's premier Nazi hunter to spend more time with Maya Dami. That's my wife. She's from Holland. That's the end of my pre-prepared statement. Regards, Alan. Sorry. So there you have it. It's been a pleasure hunting Nazis in Bedfordshire these past 20 years. In particular, my capture of Heinrich Spittel, the truncheon of Munchen. But all good things must come to an end. Nazi hunting is a young man's game. I am, after all, 82 and two-thirds. But Alan, I hear you say, what about all the Nazis? Well, I'd say in response, almost all the Nazis from the Second World War are dead. Yes, you'd say, but what about the new Nazis, Alan? The neo-Nazis? The alt-right? The President of the United States? I can't be bothered with them, I'd say. I'm older than I look. <laughs> Sorry. Alongside holidays with my wife, I will be dedicating what's left of my time to solving the backlog of outstanding cold cases in the local area. The sheer number of unexplained incidents in South Bedfordshire has been bugging me for a while now, specifically since 1956. As a former policeman and hunter of Nazis, I believe I bring a great deal to the party. Though let me tell you, Murder, abduction and petty theft are never a cause for celebration. So without further ado, let's get acquainted with our first case. May the 2nd, 1973 was a normal day in the market town of Dunstable. Clouds were high in the sky and the temperature read 19 degrees Celsius. 66.2 degrees Fahrenheit. 12-year-old James Wunk was walking home from St Mary's School when he entered the newsagents on Apnea Lane. Despite having what might be described as a sweet tooth, Wunk was thin. So thin that he went by the nickname Thinny. He also responded to Mr Thin, the thin one, and pipe cleaner. He was known to have a penchant for curly whirlies, and on this day, James stopped off at the newsagents to purchase his chocolate bar of choice from Mr. Shah. Inside, James selected his treat, handed over tuppence, said thank you because that's what kids did back then, and went on his way. He meandered across the road, unwrapping his curly-whirly as he went. From there, he slipped through a tiny opening in the hedge, his usual shortcut home. Only he didn't make it home that day. In fact, James vanished into thin air.
disappears, police concerned. Watergate scandal rocks the United States. Country thriving in common market. And footballer Ryan Giggs is born. Good evening. A 12-year-old boy has gone missing on the outskirts of Luton. James Wonk, described by police as fairly shy and extremely thin, was last seen feasting on an unspecified chocolate bar on his way home from school on Tuesday. Bedfordshire police are treating his disappearance as problematic. We now go live to Dunstable Town Hall where a press conference is underway. Thank you all for coming. All right, settle down. My name is Detective Chief Constable Jeff Lyon of the Bedfordshire Constabulary. It is now 48 hours since James was seen forcing himself through a small gap in the hedge on Apnea Street. James is described as thin, pale, English, thin, and holding an indeterminate chocolate snack, though he may not be holding it now. He was dressed in his school uniform, namely a black St Mary's blazer, custard-coloured tie, short trousers and distinctive off-white cufflinks. He responds to James along with Thinny, Thin Monster, the Thin White Puke and Skinny Nibbler. James is a friendly, fun-loving boy who is also fond of dogs, chocolate and the Beatles. His family is of course deeply concerned for his well-being. If you have any information regarding James's dis disappearance, please call Dunstable 371 and ask for Susan. Thank you. Any questions? How thin are we talking, Jeff? Extremely. This is an unusually slender adolescent. Is it true James was eating a curly whirly at the time of his disappearance? I cannot respond to speculation. What are you doing tonight, Jeff? Over the next few days, Hundreds of local residents join the police in their hunt for James. Young and old emerge from their homes armed with sticks, dogs, butterfly nets. A woman named Cheryl found an empty curly-whirly wrapper in her bush, but forensics were unable to make a connection to James. Every square inch of Dunstable Downs, one of the eight wonders of Bedfordshire, was scanned. Yet day after day, darkness fell and the search was called off until the following morning, when the search resumed, only for darkness to fall again and the search to be called off. Despite the manpower dedicated to the task, there were no traces of James to be found and no indication of foul play established. In other words, no clues. So where had James gone? People don't just disappear into thin air, do they? No, they don't. Yet that is exactly what had happened to James Wunk. He had literally vanished. Could the answer to James's disappearance be found at home? James was born at the Luton and Dunstable Hospital on October the 9th, 1961. His parents, Samantha and Bob, welcomed the arrival of a son, but times were tough, and so were they. James had two sisters, Jane and Betty, but they were older and didn't speak to him or each other. In fact, Jane didn't speak at all, having been born with a difficult tongue. Teachers described James as ordinary, slim, good at art and quite boring. 
He adored the Beatles and had individual posters of all the band members on his wall, even Stuart Sutcliffe. He was also obsessed with the country of New Zealand, dogs and playing football, though he was easily dispossessed on account of his thinness, which was pronounced. Yet James was viewed as a happy boy from a reasonably happy home, content to daydream about the antipodes or listen to the Fab Four in his bedroom. He had even acquired a girlfriend, a young lady named Suzette, who had recently replaced his imaginary girlfriend Carol in his affections. Having just failed his 11 plus, he was considering leaving school at 14 to work alongside his father at the Vauxhall factory in Luton. At least he was. Until he disappeared. Time for a quick word from our sponsors. Lee Grave Building Society is one of Bedfordshire's most established and best loved institutions. Whether you're considering a mortgage, yes, please. looking to invest savings, I'd love to. Or would simply like to discuss money with someone who really knows about money. Could I? I'm absolutely useless with money. Please drop by 103 the High Street, opposite Rumbelows. Lee Grave Building Society. Go local, pay less, tell everyone. Do you have AIDS? Or cancer? How about cerebral palsy? No? Well, aren't you the lucky one? Because many people do. You probably do too. You just don't know it. Which is why the Tulip Private Health Clinic on Hotcliffe Road offers competitive rates and a roster of outstanding medical practitioners. So if you're over 60, feeling your age, feeling someone else's age, then visit our website today. Tulip Private Health Clinic. Because we think good healthcare is worth paying a hell of a lot extra for. Don't you? Tulip Private Healthcare is a registered trademark. For discount, quote, Stoop introductory offer. Terms and conditions may apply. Tulip PLC is not liable for accident or death resulting from direct treatment. If you do not disclose when prompted an existing health condition, you will be fined £500,000 and put on a boat to Belgium or Tanzania. See website for details. This is Alan Stoob's True Crime Bookcase, and I'm Alan Stoob. A quick thanks to my grandson Hayden for setting up the microphone and starting the computer. Thanks, Hayden. Double grinded. I've cycled the 1.2 miles from our house in the south of the city to Apnea Lane, the last place where James was seen. Some of you will know I'm a keen cyclist and finished fourth in the 1967 tour of Britain. Anyway, I've been to the newsagents and purchased a Curly Whirly, just like James did. Hard to believe they're 89p considering it's mostly holes. It's a windy afternoon here in East Dunstable and I... Hello! Apnea Lane was a quiet road back in 1973, and it remains so to this day, despite the thriving local economy. I'm stood next to the hedge through which James disappeared. Remarkably, the gap is still here. What was going through James's mind as he passed between these herbaceous borders? Did he somehow know what was going to happen? Hello, love. No, I won't be long. No, I don't think it's a waste of time. I know I'm retired. Of course I've got time for you. 
No, I'm not having an affair. You're the one that started it with the late Henry Cooper. Of course I love you. It had been two weeks since James's disappearance. There were no leads, no evidence, no trace of James. The police didn't want to admit it, but they had nothing. Then on the 16th of May, an anonymous package arrived at Dunstable Police Station. Inside was a tape that would shape the investigation to its core. 
Bob would go out drinking and leave Samantha at home, also drinking. Even the children were drinking. It was a difficult time. Yet just when all hope was lost, another tape arrived. This time with a Kit Kat at the bottom. No need to introduce myself, you know who this is. You've tried to find me, but you haven't succeeded, have you? You know why? Because you're all idiots. Ha ha ha. I know I said I'd strike again, but I've changed my mind. Or have I? Yes, I have. Or have I? Who knows? You don't, that's for sure. God, I hate authority. James was a sad, thin slip of a boy who looked good enough to eat, and so I ate him. Never consumed one of my own before. He was tasty like chips. I love chips. Mam never gave me chips. She knew I liked them, but she refused, which is why she had to go too. You want proof I'm the killer. You want me to give you a clue like Lionel Blair would, but you wouldn't know what to do with it. And you know why? Because you're all idiots. Have a break, have a Kit Kat. Ha 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 ha. Bye. This time on the cassette's outer casing, police found a fingerprint. Although it didn't match up with anything on the database, they asked Canuck police to approach all men who lived within the three street area in the south of the city. 906 men were fingerprinted. A match was found. Alright, alright, settle down. Jeff Lyon, Detective Chief Constable Bedfordshire Constabulary. It is my responsibility to inform you that vis-a-vis -vis the disappearance of James Wonk, a 26-year-old man is helping us with our inquiries. Which, as you know, means he probably did it. We will, of course, update you on any developments. Alternatively, call Dunstable 371 and ask Susan to fish out the file. Any questions? Can you tell us the man's name, Jeff? George Henry Seymour, 32 Buzzards Lane, LU1-3... Hold on. Sorry, now I can't. Is it true the man you've arrested is Canuck Jake? Put it this way. Yes. What are you doing tonight, Jeff? George Seymour, 25, was a local handyman and a loner. He was described by his neighbours as a loner, local and mid-twenties. Seymour was arrested and interviewed by police. For 12 hours he refused to speak, though that didn't stop him passing wind. Eventually he broke his silence requesting a cup of hot Ribena and then he confessed to the tapes. He claims he made them to create trouble and because he didn't get enough love as a child. He denied ever having met James and, unbelievably, claimed not even to know where Dunstable was. However, he had an alibi for the day James went missing. It turned out that on May the 2nd, 1973, George Seymour was indeed where he said he was, playing centre-forward for Wolverhampton Wanderers against Sunderland at Roker Park. Seymour was charged with impersonating a murderer. He served eight years at Her Majesty's considerable displeasure.
Where did that leave the Wonks? Nowhere. In the autumn of 1975, Bob tragically took his own clothes and left the family home, moving in with a local barmaid named Flair. When they were old enough, the children also left home and left the area. Samantha remarried, moved to Houghton Reaches and had one last child, a son. In honour of James, she named him Peter. Yet the sadness and mystery of James's disappearance haunted them all. What had happened that day? This case has remained unsolved for 44 years, but something about it has never sat right. I was on the force at the time, and although this wasn't my case, I remember observing from afar how odd it seemed, in particular, the complete absence of evidence or witnesses. A killer or abductor normally leaves something behind, even if it's just a bad impression. People don't just disappear. It was time to investigate further. Turned to the hole in the hedge on Apnea Lane. Last time I got distracted, but even then a few things bugged me. I've examined pictures from the time of James's disappearance, and the hedge was as low then as it is now. This means you could see James as he entered the field. In fact, because the field slopes in an upwards fashion, he'd be spotted for miles around. If he was taken from here, someone would have noticed. Also, if he had been taken, surely he would have cried out or drawn attention to himself. Someone would have seen or heard something. Like a curly-whirly, food for thought. Next stop, Dunstable Library. Following an extended chat with Negative Graham about my career as Britain's premier Nazi hunter, I requested back issues of the Luton Dunstable Gazette on microfiche, 1973-1976, inclusive. I intended to scan all articles related to James's disappearance. Perhaps there would be some tidbit that the police had missed, that I had missed, that we'd all missed, that would help solve this case. Mrs Wunk was interviewed six times by the Gazette, Mr Wunk twice, plus in 1975, March, James's Aunt Jill did a Q&A. There was nothing telling me precisely what had happened to James, but a number of patterns began to emerge. James being thin. James liking football. His enjoyment of chocolate bars and dogs. In every interview, the subject without fail mentions James's love of the Beatles, particularly Paul McCartney, along with his fascination with New Zealand. In one of the interviews with Mrs. Wong, she says, and I quote, New Zealand is all James ever went on about. New Zealand this, New Zealand that, New Zealand the other. He won't eat his chops unless they're New Zealand. Boy is obsessed with the place. He's mental. In the Q&A, his Aunt Jill claims that, If the boy is dead, and I really hope he isn't, but if he is, well then I hope heaven is like New Zealand, particularly Auckland. He's mad for Auckland. Next, with the help of the internet search engine, Alta Vista, I was able to track down James's girlfriend, Suzette, 
still resident of Dunstable. Well, if it isn't Britain's premier Nazi hunter, you better come in. After making me welcome and a cup of tea, we got chatting about James. He was a thin one, was James. One day I sneezed and he fell over. But he was fun. He liked a joke and a giggle up. But he was always droning on about Paul McCartney in New Zealand. Were you close? Barely. I liked him. Of course, back then it was nothing serious, no rumpy-pumpy. That said, I was building up to giving him a you-know, but then he vanished. Did he do or say anything that seemed unusual to you, either at the time or in retrospect? Well, there was this one thing. Go on. I never mentioned it to the police because I didn't think it was relevant. Just before James went missing, he asked to borrow £3,000. I didn't think anything of it at the time. And you lent it to him? I stole it from my parents. Like I say, I was building up to the Uno, so I must have liked him. Didn't it seem like a lot of money? Maybe. I was never good at algebra, Alan. Thanks, Suzette. This is really useful. Happy to help. How old are you, Alan? Eighty-two and two-thirds. You look good for your age. Thanks. You work out. I, I ride my bike. It's excellent for the cardiovascular system. Married? Yes. I like older men. That's nice. You could have me, you know, Alan. Right here. I should probably get home to my Adami. What's an Adami? It's my wife. Can your wife do this, Alan? No. Or this? I'd better go. Alan! Bye! What a complete and utter... <laughs> Calling in a favour with Potato Leonard at the Bedfordshire Police, I was able to obtain an inventory of all items in James's bedroom. I then emailed BA through my computer, requested a definitive list of flights from Luton Airport during May 1973. Lastly, and after lengthy negotiations with the New Zealand Embassy, I was able to secure a copy of the Auckland Telephone Directory for 2018. It was a long shot, but I had a feeling in my gut, one that went well beyond the usual bloating. Scanning the names, there were three Paul McCartneys resident in the city. The first two led nowhere, so I tried the last one. Hello, Paul speaking. Is that Paul McCartney? Yes, this is Paul. Paul, this is Alan Stube here, calling from England. How can I help you, Alan? You've probably heard of me, Paul. No. I used to be Britain's premier Nazi hunter. Really? These days I fill my time working on cold cases, Paul. Okay. Are you a fan of Paul McCartney, Paul? We have the same name, that's it. Beatles fan? Yeah, right. Come on, I bet you appreciate Macca solo efforts. Oh, look, your solo work is so underrated, it's a crime, eh? Albums like Ram and the eponymous McCartney are testament to his towering melodic genius. You know what else is a crime, Paul? No. Or should I say, James? Pardon? James Wunk, who purchased a curly whirly in 1973, slipped through a hedge and was never seen again. Because that's who you are, isn't it, James? No. Come on, James. It's time to come clean. Anyway, your mother has died. Has she? Oh, God, Mum! So it is you, James. 
Yes. Good. She hasn't really died. I just said that to make you confess. You rotten shit. Let's get things in perspective, shall we, James? You borrowed three grand off your girlfriend with no intention of returning it, took your passport from your bedroom which no one noticed, caught a BA flight from Luton Airport to Singapore, flew from Singapore to Auckland, changed your name to your favourite Beatle, enrolled in a local school and never told your poor family where you'd gone. Who's the rotten shit now, James? Damn it, Alan, you got me banged to rights. Why did you do it, James? Can you call me Paul, please? Okay. Oh, look, Alan, do you know how boring Dunstable is? I like it. No offence, but it's a dump. We just failed my 11 plus A. Life wasn't looking like much fun. I was teased for being skinny. That wasn't great. Plus, there was this whole other world I wanted to explore. Not to mention the lamb. You ever had the lamb? Why didn't you just tell your family? They were worried sick. I meant to, Alan. Totally meant to, eh? But as time passed, I knew I'd get more and more of a bollocking. So I put it off, until I just felt I couldn't tell anyone. Who did you stay with? Pinfriend, eh? Weren't his parents worried? She was 32. What now? Isn't it time to face the music, Paul McCartney? Cute, Alan. Very cute. I'm serious, James. I mean, Paul. Alan, mate, will you do us a favour? After what you pulled... I know I've done wrong, Al. Could you keep this between us? Why should I? Well, frankly, it'd just be easier, eh? Just I could do without the hassle, if it's all the same to you. I can do that for you, Paul. Thanks, Alan. Hold on. You're not recording this or anything, are you? Now, why would you think that? Alan? Alan? Alan! You have been listening to Alan Stoops' True Crime Facebook. Hayden says you should take a moment to like and subscribe. Find Alan on Twitter at NazihunterAlan or online at NazihunterAlan.com. Alan Stoops' True Crime Facebook was devised, written, produced and performed by Saul Wordsworth. It was a Stay Vigilant production.